Hey there. On this channel, we talk a lot about fundraising. It's one of the main preoccupations of many founders. And my personal focus has usually been on angel and venture capital investment, because that's the world in which I live. But I think it's really critical not to limit yourself to that kind of funding source. In fact, one of the biggest available sources of money is grants. The great thing about grant funding is it's not dilutive. It doesn't land on your cap table. It doesn't dilute your or anyone else's ownership. Uh, and in many cases, it's available much early than angel investment. So it can be a way to solve the founder's paradox where you need money to make your MVP, but no one will invest in you in any way, shape or form until you have an MVP and some traction. However, as I said, this is not my specialty. So I was really excited to have a chance to talk with Carolyn Arzu, and she is a director of partnerships at OmniSync, and they make a product called Turbo SBIR, which is a tool for creating applications to government grants, SBIR grants. So she's extremely familiar with this entire ecosystem. However, I met her as a mentor through the Founder Institute, which, and she's, amazing. She works with huge numbers of founders. She's a font of wisdom. And so in this episode, we start off by talking quite a bit about the alternatives to conventional angel and VC investment, how SBR grants work. We diverge a little bit to talk about the whole startup experience, the entrepreneurial ecology, and then eventually circle back to get into some real nuts and bolts about the details of the SBIR contract. I think you'll find it really useful. Welcome to Feel the Boot. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so glad you could join us today. Uh, you know, Feel the Boot talks a lot about fundraising, and when I'm working with founders, they're often extremely focused around that issue, right? You need money to get the company going. But generally, they've got a very narrow vision of what they're, how they're going about that. Right? They're looking at angel investment and VC and those kind of classic approaches. But I thought today it would be great to have you on to talk about non-dilutive funding and other kinds of funding mechanisms. Yeah. So maybe you could talk start by talking just a little bit about what are some of those alternatives? Absolutely. So um, I have, since I joined this ecosystem, been in a startup support capacity from a venture fund to an accelerator to a startup studio. I absolutely love working with founders and from day one, the main um, dialogue in the space really is what we just talked about when it comes to venture and debt. And part of my biggest passion, what I've grown into, especially with OmniSync and my current work at Turbo SBIR, is just shaking founders and saying, hey, there's alternate sources of funding out there. You know, consider it, look into it, see what works for you. Um, so a few things that um, I, I have really seen pan out for a lot of my founder friends and my ecosystem and the people I've supported, um, there's some creative things, you know, when it comes to pitch competitions um, and specific accelerator programs, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But two of the biggest things I think that have been coming across a little bit more recently um, are the crowdfunding space, as well as federal grants and contracts. So that's where my bread and butter is now. What I've become so passionate about is helping founders find and apply for non-dilutive funding from the federal government. But either way, there are creative ways to get funding that aren't in the traditional pitch, 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 let me get you know a VC to invest in me. And it's really important for founders to be aware of that and look into it to see if those are good for them. Now, do you see certain 
types of startups, certain kind of categories of companies that have uh, an easier time or more appropriate kind of overlaps with getting that kind of funding than others? Yeah, and again, it depends on what vertical you're going after and what type of funding. When it comes to crowdfunding, I'll often see a consumer brand, um, a startup that is more focused on the consumer model, uh, going uh, much farther because their message really resonates and there's a lot that goes into marketing in terms of bringing in this entire crowd for crowdfunding. Um, we'll also see some great uh, medical devices if they have a really um, heartwarming story, especially if... Uh, they resonate with a health issue that many people face. So I see those going far with crowdfunding. But frankly, I fell in love with the grant world um, because I didn't expect how open it was, how applicable it was to so many founders. So obviously there are restrictions. Um, for the US government, they have 700 billion in federal grants and contracts, about 4 billion is for the Small Business Innovation Research Program, so SBIR. If you're from the defense space, you'll say SIBR, and that's how most people say it. But this funding is actually pretty wide open. You have to be less than 500 employees, majority owned and operated in the United States, and doing something innovative and R&D focused, because the money is intended to fund R&D. But if you are doing that, and you're the one who brings the rationale, if you're innovative or not, you know, you bring that argument in. Um, there's funding across every single industry from education to space, to health, to ocean, to agriculture, to even measurements. I would never have thought about, you know, revolutions and measurements, um, even though that must be such a staple of life and foundational to life. But um, it really- So it's really all about though that, that research aspect is that they're not funding you to do marketing, they're funding you to do new kind of development. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what a lot of people um, struggle with. Um, we at OmniSync, so we help um, hundreds of founders find and apply for federal funding. And we'll often get inquiries from all over the web of, hey, can, can you give me funding to fix my bathroom? Or, uh, or founders who are making a dating app, you know, and, and things like this. And those are amazing. I want his bathroom to be fixed. And I love dating apps. And I love founders who have their own unique journeys and what they're in love with. But the point of federal funding, at least from the government, is this dual use application. So on one hand, they want to stimulate the economy. They want to create jobs and create local businesses, of course. But they also do want to stay on the forefront of innovation, especially when you think about uh, the United States in the global um, the global uh, economy and in the global landscape. So they want to make sure that um, they are staying as innovative as possible. And the government, you think of it as one gigantic customer, frankly. They have verticals in every single space. They do everything. The government will buy everything. And so they need to have great technology and great options and great products for their own needs. And so that's what a dual use application really is. It's taking the research and development and the technology that the commercial section is creating and saying, hey, the government has five different use cases for this. Let's give you the money so you can create as innovative a technology as possible and we can apply it to our own needs so the government can function better, survive um, and grow and thrive in this economy. And so 
Since we've talked a little bit about uh, OmniSync already, why don't we dive into that a little bit more and what, what exactly is this platform and, and how does it work? Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm so nerdy about my team. Um, frankly, I wasn't in the grant space beforehand. I, I mentioned I was at a fund, um, startup studio, and I kind of grew up with founders um, in the same mainstream wave of, okay, venture and debt, with no kind of understanding of the alternatives that were out there. And I joined the team because I love the people. They were so impact focused. I think we talked about music for my first, you know, uh, a few times of meeting them. But in essence, I really fell in love with the mission. And it's less so grants as much as non-dilutive funding, empowering founders, and democratization um, in order to have being a founder and innovation be something that we can all do. And so OmniSync, we're a startup ourselves. We're about three years old. We use artificial intelligence to empower innovation. So the first and most well-known product that we've built out, which has been really phenomenal, um, is Turbo SBIR. So that's like TurboTax for finding and applying for SBIR funding. Um, we were pretty straightforward about the day, but it hurt us to see how wonderful this resource was of the non-dilutive funding, the federal grants, but realize how difficult it was to access. So really, if you go ahead and go after this federal funding, over 80% of people who do it themselves actually get rejected for non-compliance. It is incredibly difficult to um, not only go through the application, but even at the beginning points of identifying what's out there for you. The government websites are decentralized, they're a little outdated, they're relying on keyword searches, and most people have very limited expertise, which is completely fair. Um, so I will have a company come to me, an education company, for instance, an ad tech company, and only ever look at Department of Education, but not realize that science would fund them or health or something of the sort like if a med tech com company comes to me and doesn't realize that space would fund them or um, defense would fund them. And so currently the ways to identify these opportunities are really, really difficult to find quality opportunities. And then- yeah, I remember back, back when I was yeah. uh, doing this sort of thing, starting to look out there and there are so many things and it is so, opaquely described that yeah you don't even know where to start where to start digging how to find it and then the forms are well they're government forms right so <laughs> exactly well and honestly i think that's that's why we built what we built it was it's either do it yourself and suffer or pay an extraordinary amount of money um and we saw a lot of people getting exploited and for us we wanted to create that middle ground in order to help real people innovate um, and make it so that it wasn't just about, uh, you know, the people who knew how to play the game. So we used AI to create TurboTax for finding and applying for federal funding. Um, it's AI to search, show you best trends, um, software to help you with the application, as well as um, courses and grant writing at no upfront cost if necessary. Yeah, I mean, you've clearly been on the leading edge of this this wave because the, the whole AI driven thing has just obviously been exploding in the last in the last year and Absolutely. completely altering how a lot of these kinds of work get done. And uh, I, I think it's going to end up sweeping away just all kinds of, of friction in the systems that have existed just because of the existing infrastructures that we've got. 
So did you come to them because they were working with you, the fund that you were in was funding them, or how did you connect? Yeah, no, um, I was searching for uh, a space down in the geography where I'm at, so I'm in San Diego now, um, and I was just looking for a good team. I was really in love with my venture fund, um, and they were so wonderful, but the focus was future of work. And even though I love that, um, I got into innovation for climate. Uh, and so I wanted to work with founders uh, who I I felt were working on those uh, issues um, where it comes to my personal passions with climate and education and things like that. Um, and so it just found, it felt like a perfect match, right? Because again, as I mentioned, we have so many founders because there's so many agencies funding such a variety of um, research and development. And so it felt like a perfect fit to just come here and work with so many different founders from all backgrounds. So how did you start getting into this sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem in the first place? What is what is it that led you down this strange path? <laughs> it is such a strange path. And I feel sometimes I feel so lonely because um, I really randomly fell into this. Frankly, I come from a Middle Eastern immigrant family. It was very much, um, you know, kind of a survivalist mindset. You know, they immigrated here with, you know, their shoes and that was pretty much it and working to go from nothing to the point of being able to sustain and support a family and support um, and grow and live, you know, survive. Um, I grew up with such a rigid viewpoint in terms of how the world should work. And part of that is safety. Um, but I was only ever taught, you know, oh, doctor, lawyer, you know, like the traditional pathways and nothing really resonated for me. I loved people. Um, and I ended up finding and falling into a group of people who were just so inspirational in the sense of um, they focused on real problems. They were gritty. They wanted to make impact. Um, they they didn't shy away from the emotional aspect of facing fear and failing and growing. And so coming together in a community like that of people who genuinely wanted to build, that's where I started. And it just led me down the path of continuously working with founders and joining startups and startup support groups because it's just amazing people. Yeah, and in fact, we met uh, when we were mentoring together at Founder Institute. Yeah. Um, which, it, it's amazing how many people get involved in that and I think just really enjoy that process of giving back. Again, I think mentors are a resource that a lot of founders don't quite understand how many people are out there that are excited about helping out this community and working with these interesting people. And I'm sure this is something you see, Lance, um, because I feel that uh, people totally under, uh, underestimate it, I, especially in the founder space and in the startup space and this ecosystem. It really is a community. We are supportive. Um, and so I think uh, founders oftentimes feel that fear about reaching out or being honest with their investors or things like this um, that really inhibit them and uh, from making the most out of that community. And so community for sure. Yeah. No, I think there is that hustle culture where everyone wants to be showing, oh, we're doing great and we're killing it and we're working so hard. And when you actually get past that shell and you're working with a founder and they get honest with you, yeah, no, they're living in a world of problems and they, because everyone else is putting up this front, often feel like they're the only ones, so they're trying to hide it. And if you can get a community that's a safe place, 
that can come out. Absolutely, and I can't tell you, it's my how how much I adore it and how proud and grateful I am when I have founders that I mentor and founders reach out to me and they sit down and they start with an honest conversation. They're, I'm really struggling here. Okay, this is where we thought we were going and it does not seem like that's where we're gonna end up. Uh, and, and those, I think, are the best people in this ecosystem. Yeah, it's funny, I've had people who are like, is it okay that I'm pivoting? And I, I just wanna shake them gently and say, <laughs> have you looked at the number of hugely successful companies that ended up doing what they started doing? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. Most companies end up just in radically new directions. But, you know, are you open to that? And are you keeping your eyes up and, and aware of what's going on? And I think that's the mark of a real founder in the sense that they're not so in love with the solution that they've created or that they've thought of that they won't divorce themselves from that idea in order to actually create what the market needs and what the people need. Yeah. Yeah, I've come up with a phrase, I like to call it, uh, strong convictions held loosely. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> right, you know, because you, you've got to be going 100% in a direction and then be willing to go, oh, that's not working. And pick a new one. <laughs> well, what do you And have, be 100% committed in the new direction. You know, what do you feel it, gets people there in, in the sense that... Um, You know, it's, it's a tricky thing. And sometimes it does help to have advisors, to have a community around you, because I think we can all get so focused on what we're doing and into a tunnel vision and having someone uh, around you who can sort of say, hey, look up, look over here, you know, start, start thinking in a more broad way uh, can be useful. Because, you know, when you're executing, you're executing. It's, it, yeah. it's running down that path. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, and I think that's something that I've learned as well is really taking the time to step back. And, and I've built basically a, a day every week where I am not touched by any of the fires that I have to constantly put out, but I get to sit down and really reflect on overall, you know, the, the strategic things that I need and the overall vision, because you really do put your head down and you get so focused on putting out the fires that sometimes you look up and you realize, that you needed to pivot a while ago, or you needed to do this, or this is not necessarily, you're working towards an end that you don't want. And I love the fact that you've sort of calendared that, so it's a structured time, because, uh, and I certainly got reminded of this a lot of, by, by, by my community when I was doing a startup, that uh, it's the working in the business versus on the business. And as a, an employee, you're pretty much spending all your time in the business, as the founder, as, as part of the C-suite team, yeah. you have to be also working on the business, doing that meta-level kind of activity around what should we be doing, what kind of business, what kind of structures do we need, what kind of people do we need in the team, and that is a fundamentally different kind of thinking. And it also really um, speaks to the fact that you need to learn how to trust your team. And you need to learn how, and I think founders become such operators and so in love and over in charge of everything going on that learning to delegate, learning to trust the team that you bring on, learning to be okay with success and be okay with moving to different spaces, it's really hard. But uh, Yeah, what do you see in terms of founders' ability to migrate across that? Because when you're starting, it's, it's you and maybe your friend in a room just bashing out stuff 
And then as you're bringing in grants and raising money and doing things, suddenly you've got a team and you've got vendors and you're, you're working in this much more complicated environment. How do you see people navigate that? And what's your advice to them? Yeah, um, my advice would be starting off, know that it's gonna be complicated. Um, nothing in this journey is perfect and you can't really expect it to be. It really is, if you have faith in yourself, uh, that y you'll be able to grow um, from an experience and that you'll be able to survive an experience and you'll be able to figure it out, that's the biggest thing. Um, for me, I think even for us, you know, we went from five to 20 in a year you know, and it was a big explosion. Um, when I and that's a huge cultural difference between five and twenty. That's so much, so different. So much. Um, I really do think that it, it tends to be a lot to navigate, and you just have to be open to the fact that it's going to suck, and there's going to be a lot of challenges and a lot of pinches and all of that, and you're just figuring it out together. One thing I think really helped us at OmniSync. Um, was with this extreme growth, you know, when the culture changes, we started instituting a monthly all hands where every single member of the, the entire team from development to business development to, you know, um, marketing and sales, et cetera, everyone um, has to meet. And we have an hour long uh, debrief kind of about where we were in the past month and what our KPIs are and our goals as a company overall. How do we get there? Um, and I think especially as we were growing, forcing that interdepartmental communication um, and also having such transparency about where we're at, uh, bringing this together as a team, trying to brainstorm, really helped a lot. If everyone knows what's going on, they're all pulling in the same direction. Uh, you know, it's funny, we're talking about sort of the fact that things are messy and it's, there's an emotional component to the founder journey that sort of I don't think it's picked up in the media and, and a lot of people aren't expecting. And so what are your thoughts about, about sort of how founders can handle that and what sort of things they should be expecting and preparing for? Because it's, it's an under-discussed topic. Absolutely, and I think this is one of the most important topics, for me at least, and I think for many of the people in the community, especially uh, uh, founders who are you know, just starting or, or part of a you know, younger generation um, who is a little bit more open about mental health and working mental health in their life and making sure that that is a balanced thing for them. It's an important value, and in general, for all founders. So, Frankly, um, I really would warn anyone going into the space that this is not easy. The, it, it is far from easy. This is going to challenge you from every single level of your life, your relationships, your view of yourself, your view of your capabilities, your perspectives on the world. Um, it's going to challenge you in so many different ways. And that's not a bad thing. But you have to be open for the roller coaster. Um, because if you fight to hold on to your previous conceptions and the way that you were living life, as opposed to adjusting and realizing and growing and creating new habits and new perspectives to serve you in the way that the life is changing, then you are really going to get depressed in a lot of ways um, and you're going to struggle a lot. Um, this is a very personal journey and 
that can really have so much impact on you. For me, I got into this because failure scares me. Um, and this was the best way to have to face it constantly. Um, and I thought I would, you know, hate it. I, I thought, you know, I hated pain and uh, you're always gonna hide from it. But frankly, I love it now. Not pain necessarily, but the growth that comes from it, you know? And so when I talk to founders, I want them to know that you're okay this shouldn't be so personal it's just part of the journey one of the biggest things that have helped me no go ahead you were about to uh, you know i was i was just going to uh, sort of echo that 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 um yeah that discomfort that being out of your comfort zone i think is is a critical element i remember back when i was studying kung fu the instructor would say you know when you're sparring if you're not losing regularly you're not pushing your boundaries you know, you should always be trying some new thing rather than always doing the safe things because that's where the growth happens. Absolutely. And one thing I have on my fridge um, is a phrase, it literally says, success is an option. And I, I don't think I would have expected to have such fear of change and success and, and different pathways, um, but I did. And that's why the founder journey has been so integral to me and my growth and my life. and. Um, the relationships I build. Uh, a few things that I would say really in terms of what would be a great way to help you through that journey, besides knowing it's not personal, I really do think community is so important. Um, for me, one of the reasons I felt lonely going into this is that I fell into it and I didn't have anyone in my family or in my close group of friends who was in this ecosystem. But when I began mentoring and I continued to work with founders and I made that a bigger part of my life and I built community, it, it changed so much. Because these are people who understand um, in a lot of different ways, things that no one else could really understand. Um, so building community, advisors, just like you mentioned, Lance, I think reading a ton of books and asking advisors and just being okay with being vulnerable, um, it made me realize that a lot of the things that I was uh, nervous about was something that we all share in this community. Yeah, it's funny, when you're in a room with other founders, other people who've been in that startup thing, the kind of conversations you can have, there's sort of an instant camaraderie because you're all have this shared experience. I mean, I imagine it's it's something like people who are combat veterans have shared this, you know, incredibly intense, not often good experience, but it it shapes you in really critical ways. And I, I think it's interesting to, to see how people of different ages react to this yeah. challenge as well, right? People who are right out of college versus people who are maybe mid to late career and doing an entrepreneurial journey for the first time. Yeah, agreed. Um, would you say that, uh, what, what kind of impressions would you say that you've had? I know that I've come into this and I started right out of college um, and the people that I interact with at the youth stage who are just getting into this have this, um, deep passion and deep faith, uh, which I absolutely love. I think that's so important. But I also love when I meet founders who've been through the grinder um, a couple times and the, the wisdom and the experience that they bring to it as well. I think there's so much um, in terms of, there's so much I love about founders and everyone's perspectives at different ages. What would you say are the impressions that you've gotten? You know, I think I, I'd, I'd agree very much that in, the, the, the people who are coming out of college and getting into entrepreneurship are usually extremely passionate about 
some particular issue, um, they have the energy of youth, they're, they're going for it. Whereas when you're getting a, a more mature founder, they have sort of more life experience to pad their, uh, the situation that ha happened, right? To contextualize what they're going through. They've had other losses, they've had lots of other kinds of experiences, um, which I think often helps ground them. I also find they tend to be solving a problem that they've experienced through work. Most of them, uh, you know, have been in some space, and so they have uh, an intimate understanding of the customer and the problem and the solution that they're trying to propose. Whereas often I find that the younger founders are coming in with more of a blue sky vision, and it's often uh, bolder and sort of more, uh, you know, moonshot kind of thing. But it's also often less built-in context of the actual real-world problems that the customers they think they're going to help are actually experiencing. Yeah, and I think that was why I was so grateful when I joined entrepreneurship to be more of a support capacity rather than a founder originally um, because it helped me with easing in um, and being able to support and learn the lessons of entrepreneurship. Um, instead of just throwing myself into something immediately. Uh, personally, I really feel that to commit my whole life to something in the way that, you know, a, a, a startup is your baby, it had to be something that I was so incredibly uh, passionate about and educated on and um, experienced in so that I would be able to really not only bring my own knowledge, but be open to the market as it was and the relationships that I had built, uh, hearing what the problems were. So I don't know if I could have started um, a company right out of college. Interesting. I, I think that that experience does help. I, I certainly know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I started in a very profound way. <laughs> but one thing I would say is that I think um, a lot of people hesitate to be founders or join, a, um, a, be in the startup ecosystem because they think, oh, I don't have an idea. I can't be a founder. I, I can't start a startup. You can join a team. You can be a startup support organization. You There's so many different ways to go about it. And I don't want people to hesitate because they think, oh, I just don't have that burning topic that I really want to solve, that burning problem. That doesn't mean you wouldn't be part of the ecosystem and you wouldn't be part of the family here. Right. Yeah, that's huge opportunities to be a co-founder. And frankly, the people with the ideas often don't have the skills that they need to execute on the idea that can be a fantastic synergy. And I see that fairly often where you've sort of got teams where there's there's kind of a visionary member of the team and someone who's bringing some particular execution capability. They're a coder, they're a marketer, whatever that may be. Absolutely. Um, and the sum is so much larger than the parts. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I shared how much I love when founders are open and how much I was scared of failure because I think but part of this is my background. Part of this, I think, is just what we're taught as human beings. I felt I needed to be perfect and be able to take care of everything. And, you know, you I need to uh, succeed in all realms. But one of the beautiful things that I've learned in this ecosystem is that play to your strengths and find team members who can have strengths where your weaknesses are. Um, I think that's a big thing uh, that is such a great lesson um, for founders to find the right team members and be okay with not being good at certain things. You can't be perfect at everything. That's, that's 
It's so true. Uh, right. Founder, individuals don't scale. You need to have other people. There are going to be people who are, you're not the best person at every single thing. It's, it's, uh, and it's challenging, right? Especially when it is your baby. It's hard to let someone else take it and put their own mark on it. It's not maybe what you would have done, maybe not the path you would have Absolutely. gone. Absolutely. And I realize I've let this conversation get really philosophical. I wanted to circle back to sort of where we started a little bit around some of the grants and just sort of to help the audience have a sense of what is the scale of what we're looking. So when someone's looking for grants, kind of how much money is available, kind of what's the time frame, what constraints are there? Under what circumstances is it not something that someone should be pursuing? Yeah, that's a great question. And Lance, I love getting philosophical with you. Um, and I'm so glad we brought it to grants too, because I love talking about this as well. So for the purpose of this conversation, I'm going to focus on the federal grants and contracts, the SBIR um, focus. So SBIR funding, as I mentioned, is a $4 billion um, grant and contract program from the U.S. government. It is spread across multiple agencies. I believe there's about 11 participating agencies. Um, that's everything from science to health to agriculture to space to education to measurement transportation. So there's such a wide range. The funding really is intended to be this um, funding for research and development. The idea is that when you're at that early stage and you have this risky idea, an investor might not be willing to risk their dollars with you. But at the end of the day, you still might be able to make incredible impact and bring about this really revolutionary technology. But just because you didn't have the funding, is that idea going to die where it was? And we're all, and are we all going to miss out because that idea didn't survive. And there's many companies that have been incredibly successful that have started out with SBIR funding. Qualcomm here in San Diego is one. So we tell founders to come into this um, at that early stage. It, the program is broken up into three components. So the first component is a phase one SBIR. That is testing the feasibility, right? The concept uh, development of what you're doing. And so you're coming in and you're getting about up to $275,000 to test the feasibility of your innovation. And, and so at this point, you could really just be idea stage and get absolutely. this, right? We've had everyone from mom and pops mm -hmm. who've written their idea on a napkin, you know, um, come to us to unicorns on the platform who are just doing continuous R&D um, for their for their technology. Of course, you still have to have a, you know, a viable thought process and plan. And it's important to have uh, partners and understand what the agencies themselves want, because every agency has a different approach and a different need and a different expectation. And we help with all of that. But I love working with early stage founders and letting them know that idea stage, this is the whole point of the program. We're here testing your feasibility and letting you bring that idea. And so what's the typical time frame for that initial funding? Yeah, so we, off of our system, uh, if you're not working with us, we've seen founders take months and months and months. Um, I think we've heard an average life of like 160 hours sometimes. Um, which can be really difficult. And then again, over 80% get rejected for non-compliance because they missed their font size 
or there was a form on page 270 of the 300 page solicitation that you didn't really realize you needed to address and you didn't address it correctly. Um, and that's just the logistical and admin stuff as opposed to did I even position this correctly for the agency I'm submitting to? So it does take a few months, um, but if you're on the system with us, I know that we've been able to help people turn around applications in a couple weeks even. Um, the only thing that we can't control for is the government. And they do tend to take a few months to get back to you. I believe it's about um, three months, two to three months for notification um, of you know review, award, um, going to six months, and then max would be like eight months for uh, delivery of funding. And so for founders who come to me who are so gung-ho on raising right now, this is not something that I would recommend for them. Mm. And it, it, frankly, I love SBIR funding. Um, but it shouldn't exist in a, vacu in a vacuum. We ourselves have multiple SBIRs, but we um, also have VC funding. I viewed this funding as a resource to de-risk you and help you um, get to that point of initial trajectory, traction, concept, prototype development. But if you're already past that stage, or if you're already seeing so much traction and you are comfortable going with the VC only route and you wanna move fast, then this wouldn't necessarily be the funding for you. Um, so that's a couple of the, the recommendations that I give. I know that the government is trending towards simplifying that time frame. They're trying to shorten it as much as possible. They've heard our concerns, but for right now, there is still some time from finding your opportunity to going through that application um, to getting the funding from the government. Yeah, but it does seem to address that, that paradox of, of many startups where you need money to create the MVP, but no one will give you money until you have the MVP working and have some traction. Uh, and this is a source that will sort of help pay you to get that first thing Absolutely. out there. So when you get the phase one, how long are you, what's the time frame that you're expected to execute on that? So it depends um, on each agency. Um, I can't speak because it's dependent on each agency's contract um, and the relationship that they're gonna uh, build with you um, and your own specific idea. But the hope is that once you test out the concept, you'll be able to go uh, to uh, MVP in a phase two contract uh, right after. So that would be, you know, nine to 12 months down the line. Um, and so the phase two contract actually will award you up to 1.75 million in funding and non-dilutive grants to get to that point of MVP. Right. And that's that's for many startups, a pretty substantial chunk of change. Absolutely. Uh, what sort of commitments does the startup have to make for this? Or is it, you know, what to, to what extent are their strings attached to yeah. this money? So SBIR and STTR, which is its sister program, that is um, the program where you're working with a research institution um, to go ahead and, uh, and uh, deliver on this opportunity. Both of those, um, come in different forms. So it could be either grants or contracts. Most people say grants, and that's just an easy term to use. But some opportunities from a few agencies, including defense and um, and the sub-agencies underneath that, um, are actually contracts. So even though this money is doesn't have to be paid back 
in either grant or contract form, depending on where you end up and if it's a contract, there are going to be these certain expectations for what you deliver um, and what the steps are and the milestones that you have to hit. And the government does have uh, supervision um, uh, after the award period, um, not only to make sure that you're using the money for its intended purpose um, and that you're you know, respecting that process, but you'll also be meeting with your, your program officer and the person on your grant in order to make sure that you're hitting the deadlines that they expect. Um, the thing is, every project is different, um, so you'll have different needs per project and what they expect, but I tell people not to view this as a oh free money. In fact, we'll have so many people who come to us and they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just gonna put in this grant application, get so much money. Um, it's not that easy, you know? You really do have to roll up your sleeves, put some effort into this um, commitment, not only into the application, but realize that you're building um, this relationship with the government um, and they have expectations. You're not gonna have to pay the money back or anything like that, but you are gonna have to try to deliver on what you said you were gonna do and the plan that you proposed for the research and the development. And um, in fact, the phase one and the phase two actually de-risk you and lead you to this path of getting the government as a customer itself. So right now for a phase one and a phase two, they're giving you money to um, do your research and development. But once you've already done that and they see that you've created a product that is viable, is useful, and in fact is applying itself to a government use case, which is why they funded you in the first place, you actually can begin to have the government as a customer, where they give you multi-million dollar contracts in order to purchase your technology or whatever you're creating for their own uh, needs. And so you really want to maintain a quality relationship through your phase ones and your phase twos because by going through this pathway, you're actually opening up yourself up to having the government as an overall customer in the end. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that, that these things largely exist because the government wants some things to exist that don't exist now. Absolutely. And they want to work with you to create it so they can buy it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's that's it at the end of the day, right? I mean, they have their own needs. You know, they want to be a fully functioning um, government. They want to uh, be able to deliver quality programs and have a quality nation. And they're going to need to innovate to do that. Innovation is is where we, we all need to uh, be in order to, you know, have success, growth, and, and keep getting to that point of... Um, being our best. So absolutely, at the end, the government kind of is a customer. And I, I know you um, you and I had spoken a little bit about this, but uh, would you like me to share anything about OmniSync's journey with working with uh, the government? Absolutely, yeah, please do. I think it's, it's appropriate right here. Yeah, um, and this was interesting to me. Um, I didn't expect to necessarily work with the government, uh, and it's so fun for me to be at this intersection of innovation and government and working with people across the nation um, and in the federal space to empower innovation. So not only do I work with small business development centers um, and the SBA and different entities across the nation to support their startups, just as director of partnerships here at OmniSync, but I've really seen the ins and outs of the process 
um, not only because we've helped so many founders do it, but because we've gone through the journey ourselves. So OmniSync has two phase ones, two phase twos um, from the Air Force, and recently received a phase three contract, SVIR, from the Department of Energy. And so similar to what I shared with you guys, where phase one is this concept development, phase two is this point of prototype development, additional investment, and then phase three is the government realizes that they need your technology and they've already invested in you. And so you have a sole source justification um, for uh, being able to be a contractor with them. That's when um, they become a customer of yours. And so OmniSync, in actually such a short time, which is somewhat unprecedented, um, has experienced both the R&D funding um, and the uh, contractual relationship as well. That's great. Well, and and you, you used a phrase that I think a lot of people don't quite appreciate the, the value of, which is sole source. Mm. Uh, this is a root password to government contracting. Everything else has to be bid. It's competitive. You're fighting against the, the big gorillas that are out there, although they usually have set-asides that they have to put for, for small business. But sole source means they've already admitted that you're the only person who can do it, and so they can just contract with you. It, I, my company did a lot of sole source work, and it was um, fantastic. And honestly, you can see the light glow in the eyes of the government, um, you know, uh, employees uh, who are, would be the ones giving the sole source because in their mind, it's like, oh, I don't have to go through the pain of sending out a solicitation and then doing this and this and this and months. I, we just have someone and they're already do risk. I can just, you know, in a couple months do a purchase order. Fantastic. You know, um, so, right. and they know who they're going to be working with. Whereas if they put it out to bid, they're going to get maybe some lowest bidder who's not who they wanted to work with. and was not the, the right solution. Yeah, our phase three, I, I think it came and uh, closed in a matter of like three months, which you wouldn't expect with government entities. When there's a good mesh, you know, they, they, they can occasionally move fast when they want to. When they want so to. are there any final last thoughts that you wanted to share? Anything I, I didn't hit on in these questions? No, you're perfect. I know that we went on a few tangents um, and that's because um, entrepreneurship for me is so philosophical and so intertwined with you know, kind of the human experience. I think the biggest things I would say in summary is that entrepreneurship um, and this experience is all about facing your ego um, and learning to grow in that experience. It's important to realize that um, it's not personal, none of it is. It's about growing and that you're such a fantastic, wonderful person for caring and trying. There's a community behind you. And there really is, frankly, a lot of resources out there, not only from the people, um, but from the programs and the opportunities. Some people don't know about small business development centers. And those are um, uh, centers from the government across every state that are there to help small businesses from high tech or not. And so point being is really there is a lot of resources out there. Um, there's a lot of people who care. I'm so proud of each and every one of you guys if your founders going after this journey. And please, please, please look into the smart ways to support your work. Um, personally, Turbo SVIR, it, you know, I really love my team and we built this to be as founder friendly as possible. Most of our models are no upfront cost. Um, so 
really if we can help you identify funding opportunities across the entire federal space or apply or if you I can ever just be of support you know it's all about community please reach out yeah because of course in, in addition to the work with with uh, OmniSync you're with Founder Institute and you're you're donating volunteering your time to, to work with these startups as, as are so many other uh, mentors and really really appreciate your your doing that well, thanks so much. I think this has been great information. It'll be really uh, appreciated and useful to the uh, Feel the Boot community. And thanks so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I always appreciate talking to you, Lance, and Feel the Boot community. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching this interview. I hope you found it useful and interesting. And there's something there that you'll be able to apply to your startup. If there was, please do the usual like, subscribe and ring that bell. It makes a huge difference to the channel and it makes sure you find new content like this. To make sure you always know when new episodes of Feel the Boot are coming out, come over to feeltheboot.com and subscribe to Bootprints. It's our newsletter. It only comes out when we have new content available. There's no spam, there's no advertising. It just does a better job of letting you know when there's new episodes than any of the platforms, which can be pretty hit or miss. I also encourage you to join the Feel the Boot Founders Alliance if you'd like to get to be part of our community of other founders. We, of course, have some merch if that's of any interest to you. And until next time, ciao.